are risen in him. And let's celebrate and let's continue to praise in this day. We're all here for Jesus.
let's give God some praise in this place today. Yes. His love never fails, never gives up, and will never run out on you, on you, on you. Any person in this room, any person, period, God's love never fails, and he will never let you down. And it's because of his love that we are able to love. So when we sing this next song and we give our love back, it's okay if you've never been here before and you're still figuring out this whole Jesus thing. But we hope and pray that you would be able to have that connection and have that relationship, that experience that he already wants with you. So when we sing this together, sing it out loud. Sing it out loud as we sing, Jesus, we love you. All things have passed away, but your love has stayed the same. Your constant grace remains the cornerstone.
Jesus, we do have hope. We do have a home. And because of what he's done and who he is, we gather and pour out our love towards Jesus. And I'm glad you're here to do that with us today. Welcome to PCC. I'm Mark Tapscott, your online campus pastor. Now, if you're new here, then we'd love it if you'd fill out a connect card. You can do that online at our website or just click on the link in the chat. Now, here's a piece of information that none of you need. Thanksgiving is over. So the official countdown is on. It's now officially the Christmas season. And next week, we're getting in on the Christmas action with what we call Tacky Sweater Day. So dust off your favorite tacky sweater and wear it to church next week. The tackier, the better. Now, I know many of us are traveling during the holidays to visit family and friends, but that doesn't mean that you have to miss church. Wherever you are, you can catch our services online. And that's what I love best about our online campus. We are not confined to a location. But here is the other thing I want you to remember as you travel over the holidays. As you think about where and when you will watch the online service, why not ask the people that you are visiting, your family and your friends, to watch with you? We have so many people that get connected to our online services because people, like you, who attend our church, took time to invite them and share our online services with them. So I look forward to seeing you online in the next few weeks and hearing about the places that you're visiting, but I most look forward to meeting your family and friends that you invite to church. We're in the time of year when many of you gather with people from all over the place, but you might not know that we do the same thing in PCC students several times a year. Every six weeks, we have an event called RISE, where students from five of our campuses come together in one location for a night of community, games, worship, and a message that's crafted specifically for them. 
Now last week, 116 students and adult leaders gathered at our Midlothian campus, and they weren't just from our church. We also hosted a group of guests from another church in the area who is looking to build relationships and grow their students and young adult communities. Now, maybe hanging out with almost 100 teenagers isn't your thing, but you value that it happens for the students at our church. You can still be part of making events like RISE happen when you give here. When you partner with us financially, you not only create a space for students at our church to have a community, but you make it possible for us to partner with other churches so we can all help our students and our young people grow closer to God. Now, if you're already giving, then thank you. If you'd like to give today, you can do that safely and securely on our website, or just click on the link in the chat. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you today as we take a breath after all the holiday rush of this past week. And uh, God, we said our thanks on Thursday, and we gave thanks, but we give thanks today for uh, just the life that you've given us, the hope that you give us, and we praise you today. God, we thank you for events like uh, RISE, where students can come together and uh, form relationships with each other, but more importantly, form relationships with you. So thank you for the folks that are giving right now, the folks that have given in the past, uh, that make these kind of things happen uh, week to week for our young people. And uh, God, we uh, just ask that we slow down long enough during these holidays to remember you and your son Jesus, and to invite folks to church so they can hear about him too. So put those folks on our mind as we uh, travel this uh, season and uh, help us to invite someone new to church as we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's head back into our service that's already in progress. You've got no things for us to do No mountains that you want to move And prison walls that you'll break through It's all for your glory It's all for your name You write beautiful stories and no two are the same. Lord, take us beyond what our eyes can see, what our hearts can drink. We want everything you want for us. Let your kingdom come, let your will be done.
pursue May our obedience Leave fingerprints And let the world know it was you Sing that with me May our highest praise Be forever raised To the one that we pursue May our Thank you. You can have a seat. And as you do, I want you to think about your life. I want you just to look back for a minute, and I want you to think about the moments when there was a significant event that happened that required you to make a decision. There are pivot points that all of us reach, and, and think about one or more that required you to make a decision. When I was in college, I had to decide if I was going to if I was actually going to be committed to it. Did, did, and, and I had to, it came in the form of the question, like, why am I here? Did I come, did I go to college, which was a significant distance from my home, simply to escape the disaster of my family of origin? And it was quite a mess. That's a whole different conversation. W was I here for that, or would I actually commit to my education? Was I all in on that? Because that decision, if I made it, it would require me to prioritize school and to commit to paying for it. That's where the true colors of this commitment, if I made it, would actually show up. And then I got married, and a few months later, Susan and I had our first child. And did I mention I still had two years of school left to go when I got here? And I had a full-time job. And once again, I was at this point of, of decision that really centered around commitment, would I find ways to prioritize commitment to my marriage and to our, our new young daughter? Uh, and it was a complicated question. It sounds super simple, but you know, for those of us who you know, live some life, it, it wasn't simple. We were broke. Uh, it, just looked like I, it just looked like I couldn't make it all work. Work and school and marriage and kid and all the things. Something had to give. And, and it was hard. It really was hard but we reached a place where I said, I have to be committed to this. 
And that commitment, I didn't know at the time, it unlocked something that was, that was beyond just me and my little family. It unlocked, the commitment itself unlocked the power of God. And not just in a nice to say, you know, bumper sticker kind of way. Instead, really, our commitment to things that really mattered, our commitment to things that God calls us to be committed to, in that we discovered a truth about God that few people ever figure out. But a truth I'm going to show you today. Before we get there, though, I want to apply the same kind of question to our church. If you've been around at all, you know that our, our church has, uh, we started 21 years ago, and we really had nothing except a clear calling from God and a real commitment to it. So other than that, other than a, a clear sense of calling and a commitment to that calling, we had nothing else. We had no money, we had no place, we had no experience. We were like a group of no's. Apparently, apparently, if you looked at us from the outside, you would have thought that we deliberately excluded anyone who knew what they were doing or had the money to pay for it. So it was almost like people must have thought I asked, you know, like, hey, have you ever planted a church before? No? Okay, well then you can be a part of our team. Because that's what we're looking for. It's not really how it happened, but it, it's how it looked. We really did have nothing except for commitment to this clear sense of calling. We were committed to what we knew God was doing, even though we had no idea how it was ever going to work. And as it turns out, that commitment was enough because it unlocked an attribute of God's power that we didn't know then, but that we do know now. We had to, um, along the way, reach several decision points in our church. And, and I could think of a hundred of them, but just sort of a sampling. We had to go from one service to two. I mean, we were growing. We had, we had outgrown the room we were in, and we couldn't make the room any bigger. So what do we do? We go, let's go to two services. Anybody here ever done that before? No? Okay, well, let's do it anyway. It's almost like it was a silly question to ask. And then from there, we said, well, you know, we, we're going to need to settle down here, so let's buy some land, let's raise a few million dollars and build a building. Anybody ever done any of that before? No. I don't know why we even asked. And it was ridiculous because we weren't that big and we were still quite broke, but we were committed. We had this sense of calling and we were committed to it. And then, you know, after that, we, we moved into the building, our first building, and then we said, well, let's launch a second campus. There was this sort of groundswell of people that said, let's do that. And and so, you know, anybody here know how to launch a second campus ever? No, not one person. Nobody had. In fact, we had only heard about this concept called multi-site, you know, recently to that moment. But we were committed. We felt God moving. We heard God calling. And so we launched that campus. And it's somewhat of a miracle that it got off the ground. Sheer commitment is what kept that thing moving until we figured it out. But after that, more campuses came and Prisons came and people came and lives were changed. And along the way, when I think about what's the key, the key has been commitment on our part, that is. You know, God, God's work is always the key, but what do, what do we bring? It's not that we bring everything that's needed. It's that we bring commitment. Each time we were at a defining moment, the real question for PCC has always been, are we really committed a couple of years ago, our Riverside campus uh, leaders came to me with, a, with a, a problem. It was a fantastic problem, but it was still a problem. They said something like, hey, we're completely out of kid space. Now, imagine for a moment that somebody says that to you. I, I, I just want to tell you what was in my head. When they said, hey, we're completely out of kid space, I thought, I, I guess the kid room's getting a little crowded. There's probably an extra kid or two in there. And uh, they must have seen that look on my face, some kind of skepticism, because they pushed back. They pushed back really hard. They said, hey, wait a minute. 
I don't think you understand. We're doing kid men in the atrium, in the hallways, in the open, in places without walls where there's total chaos. There's so many kids, it's no longer safe to do kid men in the spaces that you have for us. Well, that building at Riverside in Fork Union is the only building that we rent. We, we don't own it, we don't own it, we're not buying it. And, uh, and we only rent half the building. If you've ever been there, it's kind of a sizable building. We only rent half of it. And uh, we didn't have the money to rent the other half, which is what we needed for the Kidman space. But we were committed. We knew God was at work. We could see it. We just, we just had to bring our commitment to it. And so when a campus is blowing its doors off because of Kidman, you better be committed to that. So I swallowed hard and I called the owner of the building and a guy I know, and I said, hey, man, I said, uh, we don't have the money to rent the other half of the building, but we need it for our children's ministry because these kids are having so much fun. They're dragging their parents to church. They're telling their parents we're never missing church. They're coming no matter what. And Kidman is so big, it's about to like pour out into the parking lot and then into the street and and I waited, man. You know, I've made a lot of these kinds of calls. I waited for the rejection or maybe the laughter or maybe that clicking sound, you know, you've heard when somebody hangs the phone up on you. And I waited and then he said, go ahead. Go ahead, do what you need to do. For the same rent, not a penny more, he would let us just use the entire building. So we went in and we worked hard and our team out there, they just put a lot of blood, sweat and tears into it and and we created the most amazing kid space of any of our five campuses. Riverside Kidmen is, is uh, probably going to outgrow that space at some point, too. It's just amazing. Because we were committed. And that commitment unlocked a secret power that God has that you can't get without your commitment. And it's going to apply to your personal life. And it's also going to apply to our church. Now, I taught this a few years ago, so if you're here then, this might be a refresher for you. I hope you find it valuable still. And if you weren't here a few years ago, then this will be new for you. But here's the secret power. We add, and God multiplies. We add, God multiplies. I'm going to unpack this with you in a minute, but I'm going to ask you if you would, at, at all of our campuses right now, let's just, it's not, not complicated, let's just say this out loud together. Here we go. We add... God multiplies. See, you and I, we're finite. We are bound by the laws of time and physics. Try as you might, and some of us actually do try, you cannot be in more than one place at one time. You can't, but God can. You're limited by what you can add in terms of energy and resources and knowledge and talent and whatever it is you got. But God takes our commitment shown by bringing what we have, which is addition, right? And even though it's not enough, and it usually is not enough, God is able to multiply it so that it is. That's the business that God is in. You and I can add, but God multiplies. God multiplies in every critical, essential, important area of your life. Even when it's just math. We think it's just math. We add. God multiplies. In fact, this principle is so critically important that there's a story in the Bible that is recorded, it's the only miracle recorded in all four gospel records. Let me explain that, just to make sure everybody's on the same page. There are four books of the Bible that are what we call the gospels. They're the four books that tell the story of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, just four. 
And in those stories, they're like uh, watching the same event from different angles. They're all telling the truth, but they're seeing it from different perspectives. So not all of them carry all the stories together. Maybe you've heard of the story, it's kind of famous, of Jesus turning the water into wine. Only John tells us that, the gospel writer John. Maybe you've heard of the story of the parable of the prodigal son, kind of an important uh, story. Only Luke tells us that. And it's a parable of Jesus, like words of Jesus. Only Luke gives us that one. Even the Christmas story, much as we all love the Christmas story, only two of the four gospel writers tell us about it. The other two just think the birth of Jesus isn't all that important. Bah humbug. You know, they just move on to other things. But the miracle we're going to look at today, it's the only miracle in all four gospel writers. It's that important, and it is the miracle of multiply. Now, it's written in all four places, told from a little bit of a different perspective. We're going to look at Matthew's account, and we will uh, just sort of nod to some of the information we get from the other three writers. And it goes like this. Matthew's account goes like this. When Jesus heard what had happened, I'll explain that in a second, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. <clears throat> Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot uh, from the towns. So uh, what had happened what Matthew is referring to here is Jesus and his closest followers withdrew to a private place out of a deep sense of grief. What happened was that they heard about the beheading, the murder of their dear friend, John the baptizer. Just a quick note here, John the baptizer and John the gospel writer or, or the disciple, those are two different people. So John the baptizer had been beheaded, murdered. And these guys knew him well. So they withdrew in order to grieve and to mourn and to deal with their pain. Some of us know what it's like to lose someone really close. It just takes some time, doesn't it? We just got to get away sometimes, just clear our head. It was more than that, though. They were also exhausted. I mean, these guys, these disciples of Jesus, they'd been hard at work. Keeping up with Jesus is not easy. He was constantly healing people, constantly teaching people, constantly modeling what it looks like to be a true follower of God, a servant of God, live a godly life. And, and he, was, he was always trying to instruct his followers about a new way to see people, like really see them, the good and the not so good, the clean and the unclean, Jews and Gentiles, men and women. And Jesus was always on. He was always in the spotlight. He was always being watched. Someone was always watching. And the disciples, they were always on too because they were shoulder to shoulder with Jesus, working alongside him, learning from him. But at this moment, they all just needed a break. They were grieving the loss of someone they loved, a partner in ministry, and they were tired. They were exhausted. They just needed a day off. Don't you ever get that way? I mean, I know I do. Occasionally, occasionally I talk about my crazy schedule like I'm the only one that lives this way, but it's not true. Many of us, maybe most of us, live full schedules and crazy schedules and exhausting itineraries. And I'm not complaining. By the way, if you complain about this, I got really bad news. This has nothing to do with today, but here it is in case you're wondering. You did this to yourself. Like, I get to decide how I'm going to spend my time. You do too. So instead of blaming everybody, we just own it. Look, here's the truth. I like working hard. I kind of want to stay busy. 
And I consider it a privilege to be able to make a contribution to the world, right? But if you want to be healthy, work has to come with some measure of balance, too. We work hard, we play hard, and there comes a time when we crash hard and we rest hard. And that's all that Jesus and his disciples wanted to do, and rightly so. They deserved some rest, some R&R, some peace and quiet. And so Matthew tells us they withdrew to a private place. They tried to sneak out. And we're not told that this happened here, although it happened in some other places. But I just try to imagine the scripture. And I imagine them like putting on their fake beards and mustaches, take their bald cap, ball cap and turn it sideways and stare at the floor. Don't make eye contact with anybody. Hope nobody recognizes you. But somehow people knew. Of course they knew Jesus is the most famous person anywhere. He's a hard secret to keep. If there was a, an ancient version of the paparazzi, Jesus would have had it with him. And everybody's watching for him. So word gets out that he's on the move and he gets spotted. Of course he gets spotted. More than that, they don't just follow him. They figure out where he's going and they show up to sort of rendezvous when he gets there. Isn't that just a little bit rude? I mean, shouldn't somebody have asked first? Or shouldn't it maybe better they have waited for the invitation? But they don't. They didn't. They were so desperate to be near Jesus that they're not going to let something like etiquette stand in their way. Which begs the question, both then and now, what was so special about Jesus that people would go through so much trouble to be near him? Weren't there other faith gatherings? Weren't there other religions and churches in the area? Weren't there other rabbis and priests and spiritual leaders that they could talk to? It wasn't like Jesus was the only one who talked about God or claimed to know who God was. If you think about it, there's really only one explanation that makes any sense. These people were longing for something that they were not finding in the other spiritual experiences and the other spiritual leaders around them. Maybe they had gone to another religious service somewhere and just didn't find what they were looking for. Maybe they never went at all. But for whatever the reason, there, were, there was clearly this void in their lives, something they knew was missing, even if they didn't quite know what it was, and they were desperate to fill the void. Now enter Jesus. And Jesus, what he spoke about, the way he said it, it was all different, like nothing they'd seen or heard before. I mean, he was not over their heads or thought he was better than them. He was real. He was one of them. He was authentic. And he wasn't judgmental. Although there were times when he would call out somebody's sin, but he, he never did it in a way that made you feel beat up. He was caring and loving and truthful and, and righteous and humble and, and everything that exemplified God all packaged into one person. People got around him and they saw in him the hope that they might finally have found what they were looking for. That's why they chased after him. So when Jesus landed and he saw the large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Tired as he was, as grieving as his heart was, as heavy as his heart was, he just wanted to mourn the loss of his good friend. Jesus saw the crowd and he was filled with compassion on them. And instead of dealing with his pain and his exhaustion, he decided to turn and deal with theirs. Set aside his own needs, healed the sick. And once again, he was with them. And as evening approached, 
the disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And Jesus replied, well, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Matthew is the one that tells us that the, the one who has the five loaves of bread and the two fish, it's this boy. Matthew doesn't tell us that. John tells us that there's this boy in the crowd who emerges with five loaves of bread and two fish. And when I read the scripture, I like to ask you know, questions. And so here's a question I wanted to know. Who packed this kid's lunch? Five loaves and two fish? There's only one answer to that question. It had to be his mama. Only a mama would pack that much in a kid's lunch. See, us dads, we're, we're trying to help our kids learn to improvise, get through life, because life is hard. When we pack lunches, we put like a single slice of bread and a can of tuna in a brown paper bag. No can opener. We're going to let them figure out how to open that thing. They can do it with a knife. They can throw it against a wall. They can let a car run over it. Over it. They can rip it open with their teeth. But when they come home from school that day, they'll have a new appreciation for a can opener. And when they complain, we'll remind them that when we were kids and it came lunchtime, we had to run down to the creek, take our shoelace off and use it as a fishing line, catch a fish, clean the fish, cook the fish, be back at school in 40 minutes. A mama definitely packed his kid's lunch. Except it wasn't just his lunch. It was his income. Most scholars believe that he was selling bread and fish, making money for his family to eat. Donating his inventory would not just mean missing a meal. It would mean giving up his livelihood, something of extreme value to him. It was way more than a few loaves of bread and a couple of pieces of fish. The disciples look at what this kid has, and they glance at the crowd at Jesus's command. They do what you and I do. They ask the question, how can I possibly feed thousands of families with this single family serving. They were dealing, like you and me, in addition. It, it made sense. It's just simple math. You can't make more food out of thin air. Well, you and I can't. But that's because we add. God, he multiplies. He doesn't run out. His inventory is not finite. His supply has no limit. When you and I are faithful, our addition becomes God's multiplication. Somehow inside this kid, the voice of God speaks and he offers what he has to the cause. And then God does what God does. He multiplies. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the loaves. And then he gave them to the disciples. There were 12 disciples, by the way. And the disciples gave them to the people. And they all ate and were satisfied. And the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So Matthew only knows the number of men. But when you add the women and the children, the total number of dinner guests that day had to be at least 10,000, maybe as many as 15 or 20,000 people, all fed with five loaves of bread and two fish. And for you and me, that just doesn't work. That's, that's because we add. 
and God multiplies. What does this have to do with you and me? I mean, really, it's a nice story in the Bible, fun. Jesus feeds the 5,000, it's great. But what does this really have to do with us? It turns out that embedded in the story is the key for how our church has thrived in the past and how our church will thrive into the future. But before we get there, before we get to talking about our church, I just want you to think about you for a minute. I'm asking you if you'll set aside for just a brief moment the commitment that I hope that we'll all make to our church today. And I want to think about how this applies in your personal life. Maybe just a couple of ideas and you'll sort out how this works directly, specifically for you. So husbands and wives, especially those of you who've been married for a while and the new love phase is a distant memory and you're in the throes of life and parenting and work and finances and all that stuff has sort of wedged between you and you wonder how bringing what you have can possibly revitalize your marriage. I want you to remember that you add, but God multiplies. And the requirement from you is a commitment to bring all that you've got to your marriage. And if both husband and wife does that, you add and God multiplies. God will do his part. He'll use his multiplication power and your marriage will find a gear it has never seen before, a place you never realized you could go. And parents, parents, maybe, maybe you have developed a distant or tense relationship with one of your kids as they've become teenager or maybe even moved into adulthood. Look, I raised three kids, Susan and I. We've had our fair share of monumental challenges as our kids moved through those difficult years and, and staked out their claim of their own adult lives. But if you'll come closer instead of running the other way, if you bring what you have, if you stay committed, God will do his part because we add and then God multiplies. I don't know what area of your life you need this for. Maybe it's a friendship or your health or how you're spending your time or your finances. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is that when we commit, when we humbly accept that what we're bringing is simply not enough, but we're committing to do whatever God wants and to bringing whatever we have to that cause, well, in that case, we add and then God multiplies. It is true for your life. It is also true for our church. For the past four weeks, we've been talking about this vision that God gave us, the vision for our church. And frankly, the relationship to this story of Jesus feeding all these people that day, it's startling because there are hungry people around us too. They, they're not necessarily hungry for food, though a few are. But they're all hungry for God. And, and I believe that God wants us to bring what we have and then let God do what God does. We add. God multiplies. And so we've been painting a picture of what God has done. And make no mistake about it. God's done all the good things around here. What he's done for the past 20 plus years. But we've also honed in on what God has done for the past 12 months. As we're one half of the way, one year into this two-year vision and if you've been around, you've, you've heard some of it. 
like I said earlier, that our, our kids uh, experienced such great growth at our Riverside campus, we had to expand that space, and it really is amazing. And then we also had this other goal. We saw this vision of God doing this, these great things in our ALIT campus, and so we needed to locate, just locate, a building location for that campus for a future building. That's addition. We saw the math. Just find the place, and then later on we'll figure out what to do with it or how to buy it. But God multiplied. Not only did we find it, but we were also able to buy it. And then we saw, we, we envisioned this renewed focus and, and elevation of the effectiveness of our do-good ministry so that people all around us can get help in tangible ways. We launched a campus in the women's prison, VCCW. That campus was born. We planned all kinds of connection-oriented events so that people would know church doesn't just happen on Sunday. We did the father-daughter ball, the, the mother-son game night, the men's huddle, the For You Women's event, and others. We commissioned our talent to write a new album of worship music and Always Sing came to life. And through it all, and that's just the tip of the iceberg, through it all, our church grew and grew helping us reach this vision of a thousand more just ones. All of this because we're obsessed with making sure that everyone around us knows that God just loves them that much. But we're not finished. It's not over. The vision is still ha happening right now. There's so much more that we need to do, so much more that God wants us to do, so many more people to reach beyond where we are today more ways to help people in our communities, to help people in our partnerships around the world. Did you know that PCC College is about to launch? That's part of year two of beyond, as well as more partnerships around every one of our campuses so that we can go beyond Sunday and help people with their mental health issues, to help continue to reach the next wave of a thousand just ones, I could keep on going. The list is large and all of it boils down to this. It's just impossible. It's impossible with addition. But our vision is really not about our vision. It's about what we captured from what God saw. This is God's vision and it requires us to bring what we have in commitment. The math still won't work but it won't matter because we add and then God multiplies. So today we're going to commit. For some of us, it'll be a, a new commitment. And for some of us, it'll be a renewed commitment. We're going to bring what we have so that spiritually hungry people around us get fed. Over and over and over and over again, we've gotten to be a witness to the miracle of God doing what God does like the boy that day in the story from the Bible, bringing what he had, that we get to do that today too. And if we do, we get to be a part of the miracle. Again, I often think about that kid and I think what it must have been like for him after the fact and what he must have thought about later, realizing that when he committed what he had, he got to be a central part of the most amazing miracle, a story that is still being told 2,000 years later. I believe God has positioned our church in front of thousands of people, just like those first followers were in front of thousands of people that day. And just like that day, people are still hungry. They're hungry to know God. They're hungry to know that God loves them and cares about them, that God has a plan for their lives and a purpose. 
for them. It's uncanny, really, the similarities. Because here we are asking, once again, how's this going to work? And I believe the voice of God is saying, you just bring me what you have, and I'll do my part. And we'll all get to see lives change again. We, we don't know how we can possibly go beyond our limits. Isn't that the whole definition of limit? Beyond our limits and beyond Sundays and beyond ourselves. We don't know how we can do all that because we're still adding. But fortunately, God still multiplies. So I'm going to ask you, if you would, at every one of our campuses, if you would just join me now, let's join our hearts together and let's pray. Would you do that with me? God, we're so grateful, Lord, that you're the God who multiplies. And God, we're going we're gonna to ask you to do big things in your church today. But before we do that, we just, I just think about every person here who might be struggling with something. And, and they've been trying to fix it. They've been trying to keep adding. But Lord, would you help, would you intervene? Would you help them to see that when they turn their commitment toward you, their addition becomes your multiplication Help them to keep fighting, keep committing, keep adding, knowing that it's not enough, but you are. And for our church today, God, we renew our commitment to see the great vision that you've given us come true. Sure doesn't look like it's possible. But then again, with you, all things are possible. And we're just glad to be a part of it. So today, we, we gratefully we're, we're with great passion, excitedly, we get to commit again. We'll be faithful to you, God. We're grateful that you're always faithful to us. So speak to us now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Like Brian said, God multiplies. But for us to be part of him doing that, it's up to us to bring what we have. So we're going to do that together right now. You can find the digital version of the card online at pccwire.net slash beyond hyphen commitment hyphen form. Now, if you're new, you can commit to joining us in the Beyond Initiative. And if you've been with us, then at this halfway point, you can commit to finishing strong with your original pledge or increasing your commitment if you feel led to do so. We're in this together. And that includes me, by the way. I'm all in. So take a few moments to pray and consider your commitment. And when you're ready, you can fill out your card and send it. But then make sure to come back here because we aren't quite finished with the service just yet. So go ahead and fill out your card now.
Thank you for being part of this holy moment, and thank you for coming with us as we commit to going beyond. We are so excited for what God is going to do over the next year, and we're excited to kick off the Christmas season next week. So be sure to post a picture of you wearing your tackiest sweater on our Facebook page, and I'll see you then.